0: Chicago, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. What's up, everyone? My name is Raj Nation, founder and chief pitch artist at Startup Hype Man, where we help startups not suck at how they pitch themselves. How? By making sure their audience sees them not as the best, but as the only. And this podcast is the only show where you will hear from leaders in the startup ecosystem sharing a piece of their heart, their mind, and their story on how they are charting their own path growing their companies and choosing not to play the game but to change the game before we get going hit the subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode also head over to startuphypeman.com and subscribe to our point of view letter where we share original articles insights and resources all to help you become the only of your industry all right get your popcorn ready and get hyped it's showtime Ladies and gentlemen, making her way to the microphone from Baton Rouge, Louisiana and currently residing in Birmingham, Alabama, she is the general partner at Black Tech Capital. Please welcome Kiana Meeks. (sighs) (laughs)
1: <sighs> <Woo. Go Kiara. laughs>
0: we always, I I always tell people that. capture that and, and what's funny is that you know when we go to live we'll give you this segment that segment especially just play it as you walk into your next meeting
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, are you kidding me that your voice the little <laughs> the clip that's gonna be me every day for a cool like three months it's time to <laughs> wake up my new alarm tone. Your alarm clock. <laughs> or maybe I'll make it my new ringtone, and then have friends call me at predetermined selected time.
0: Every time the phone, motor- <laughs> ladies and gentlemen.
1: <laughs> no, actually, and I'll be like in a super serious meeting, like one million dollars on the table, and then that'll happen, and um, it'll be orchestrated.
0: It'll be there decorated. you go. There you go. There you go. All right. So like I said, she is Kiana Meeks. She is the general partner at Black Tech Capital, a pre-seed fund. She's out of Alabama. The pre-seed fund is based out of Toronto and they're investing in Black and other underrepresented entrepreneurs, specifically focused on clean tech and climate tech, leveraging the manager's networks and track record, growing several companies to 9x valuation increases. Now, Kiana is a change maker because she's... She's on the younger side, okay, especially when you think about an investor, right? Only three years out of college, but she's already been a VC and started her own fund now, which is just wild. We got in touch a couple months back. We had a tough time ever even getting a meeting together. Like, you, I showed up, you didn't, then you showed up, and I didn't. Finally, we got together. And we were like, we were vibing like crazy. And I was like, we got to do this podcast episode. So, our topic today is something that Kiana is working on right now. It's something she's got a lot of experience with. And that is, as a startup, attracting and retaining young talent. Kiana, once again, welcome. Why is this on your mind? Why is this important to you?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, one, it should be on everybody's mind all the time. Think of nothing else. um, It's for a lot of reasons. Um, Obviously, attracting talent is important. Like for your startup, it's the only way that you're going to grow. Uh, until we really nail down the AI thing, we still need human people. Uh, That's only going to last so long, though. (laughs) This advice is probably only going to be relevant for another, like, 10 years, maybe. Uh, But, yeah, no, it's important to me because I see my wonderful, talented, creative, super capable friends um, from, you know, high school and college and, you know, the Venture for America program, in places where they're not necessarily happy um and where they're not getting paid their worth and as i like to say in j pal's economy like that's not it can't fly you know uh when butter costs six dollars a stick like we got to figure something out um and i just want to see my friends live bountiful lives uh i definitely don't believe in the struggle narrative that i think we get pitched a lot as americans or it's like oh if you you know 10, 15, 20 years, you grind away in the salt mines, then maybe, just maybe, you'll earn a chance to go outside. Like, I don't believe in that. Um, And very much so, Pro, the life that you want is the life that you can create. um, And just want to make it more accessible for my super awesome, capable friends to get great, meaningful, fulfilling jobs. But yeah, and then, of course, on the startup side, like that's your whole business without talent. You don't
0: have anything. You can already hear the general Zenus oozing out of your pores (laughs) as you speak. I love it. I love it. So we're going to talk a whole lot more. (laughs) We're going to talk a whole lot more about that topic. Before we do that, let's learn a little bit more about you, the person. So um, (laughs) I'm curious to know, growing up in the Baton Rouge area, what do you feel... Growing up in like the southern New Orleans, not New Orleans, but the southern like Louisiana sort of environment. What do you feel that taught you about people?
1: Oh, oh the things I've learned about people. Um, oh, wow, a lot. I would say something that I love dearly or appreciate very much so about being a southerner and being from the south um, and experiencing this culture is that I have gotten fairly adept at navigating uh, like racial conversations uh, and like understanding the nuances of those different cultures that share the same um, the, share the same place but often occupy different worlds. So the south is like. Growing up here, especially growing up black here, is a one-on-one on that, you know, on navigating those things. And when I I went to UC San Diego for college and noticed just how like it was very much so beneath the surface, whereas in the South, we're a lot more frank when we're talking about race. And mm-hmm. so we can get to the meat, we can get to the meat and potatoes of the story a lot faster um, because we're not playing, we're not playing games, you know. Um, maybe there's a tension or an uncomfortableness, but we all just like, we'll sit with that. It doesn't stop the conversation. Um, whereas I found on the West coast, it usually does. So um, I would say that's like one of the primary things I learned about people growing up in the South. And then of course, just, uh, and, and a big part of that, a big part of that is radical empathy and it's a value that I like, like. maybe a few years ago, I was like, okay, this is this is my value, and so now I'm definitely in the process of uncovering where I'm not practicing it. Um, but growing up in the South really helped me with that. And that the only way you're going to be able to relate to somebody who's you know occupying a different world, different culture, different skin tone, different uh, income bracket, like totally different life, is if you're able to relate to your human experience on a deep grounded level and then see the humanity in them you know and that requires like i remember i was talking to a friend um some weeks back and she was like oh you know we read pride and prejudice in high school she's like i can't relate to this little white girl uh-huh. did she complain about Where, where's the prejudice
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but i'm obsessed with that book and the show and the movie yes the 1998 version and the 2005 version. <laughs> That um, was also, already like, 2005?
0: And I... Keira Knightley, that one?
1: Yeah. Oh. Yo, if you haven't, go back and rewatch it. A, it holds up. B, there's a lot of um, up and comings in 2005, that movie, that are now like big. Ah. Uh, what's her name? Carrie? Oh,
0: darn. Washington?
1: Off topic. Nah, Not not her. I'm, I'm thinking about um, the woman who did A Promising Young Woman. She was like the lead in that. Oh, something. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know the name. I don't know who you're talking about, though.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, she's a star. Anyways. Um, there's a lot of people in that that are really great, but yeah, and I was like, what? That like blew my mind, uh, because a, it's one of my favorites, and it's one of my favorites because I could really relate to a, um, her like uncovering those prejudices and herself, um, and then how she related to her family. You know, she had, a, she loved them, but she didn't always like them. No acts. Um, <laughs> I don't think my family gonna listen to me but in case they do uh, but it's like but like having a complex shifting relationship with how close and how included you feel um, in your family how you relate to your friends like the whole situation with her and her best friend Charlotte I really felt that like her friend being like I had to do what I had to do and you have to like you don't get to judge me for that you know yeah. Um, there's so many different aspects of that that story that's just so fundamentally human, you know? Um, and I think growing up in the South taught me to see those things first. So uh, like, even when I'm talking like politics, to my friends, I'm much more interested on the things that we all agree on, um, the things that are popular as opposed to like the 80%, as opposed to the 20% of things that we're yeah. really divided on, you know? Um, so yeah, that's that. <laughs>
0: I I think back to the original movie because we had to we both read the book but watched it in high school and I don't remember if it's Mister Bingley or Mister Darcy but like comes over for dinner and then he's like he's like finishing up dinner and he goes I thought I might read to you all for four or five hours after we're done eating <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like that sounds awful
1: because <laughs> it was it was terrible that <laughs> like, he held the family hostage and that was their cousin. Um, whose name is also escaping me right now, but <laughs>
0: oh, so it wasn't Bingley or Darcy; it was just someone else. No, it was not someone okay. Those
1: are two respectable gentlemen. Okay, <laughs> uh, that was their cousin who owned the estate. He sucked. <laughs> All
0: <laughs> but right, that so said,
1: I could see in him just like trying really hard and I'm connected <laughs> on that, you know, because that was me, like especially, oof, especially like middle school, high school, just trying so hard, <laughs> but not actually connecting. Um, sure. And then when you stop trying so hard, you can. You can often connect a lot easier. Anyways,
0: on that note of um, uh, of movies and entertainment and things like that, if you know if there were to be a movie about the life of Kiana Meeks, who's playing you and why? <laughs>
1: um, mm, of the talent that is alive and in and working right now, young Kiana, I don't know. Um, that said, I feel like Lupita Nyongo would play, she would she do a good, like, middle-aged 40s Tiana All I think right. she's got the, the spunk for it.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. I can get down with that. I can get down with yeah. that. Uh, and by last name alone, you would not choose Meek Mill to have a role in this movie?
1: I would not. <laughs> <laughs> any of his music and I have no opinions <laughs> of this man it's just in high school there's this kid named Trevor Jackson who every time he saw me in the hallway like, um, like, meet even meet though we out. never talked <laughs> yeah, he would go and I would be like uh.
0: there was always those people I feel like in school who you had zero relationship with but took it upon themselves to like create a nickname and like that was the extent of the relationship was just saying each other's name in in passing
1: <laughs> literally literally <laughs>
0: All right. So let's talk about what you're doing now. And that'll be a good segue towards our primary topic. So Black Tech Capital, it just got off the ground in the last couple months. Talk about um, why you decided to start this and what the whole mission and goal is here.
1: Yeah. So I did start this. Um, I came on um, to the firm, what now, like two months ago. Uh, So I got my start in VC here in Birmingham uh, with Bronze Valley. Bronze Valley is a venture CDFI nonprofit um, that gets money like a nonprofit, but then distributes it like a VC would. Uh, So with them, you know, I was raising grant money, talking to different stakeholders, um, both for money and like strategic partnerships. And then of course, all the things that go with deal flow, setting up those systems of deal flow, those pipelines, reviewing all those many, many pitch decks. Uh, but that's the name of the game. Many, many pitch decks. Oh, title for autobiography. Many, many pitch decks. Anyways. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, like all, the whole kit and caboodle with that. Uh, really, really am grateful for my time there. Um, but they grew, they got to a point where I think it was two sides of uh, of tension there. One was that, I was like, okay, all the growing that I'm doing now is me initiated as opposed to from the role itself, uh, which is an exhausting kind of state to be in To when the only factor that's pushing you towards growth is your will, um, that's just not sustainable. Um, and so I was like, okay, at some point, I'm gonna have to put myself in a different situation. And then the other half of that was just the market. Um everything that was going on, you know, obviously the great resignation, uh, the boom of remote work. And I was just like, the future is so optimistic. And I had a really great relationships with generator, shout out generator with WeFunder, shout out to them too. Um, as well as like several other startup-related things. And I was like, okay, like let me step out on faith here, faith on myself, faith in the outcome that I can leave this role go do something else, grow and learn a lot uh, without like, you know, my world coming down. Mm. I think side note, that's why a lot of people stay in places that they're not happy. is the the fear of the unknown. Um, But then I was just like, okay, wait a second. Think about everything you've been through, everything you've accomplished. Um, You've earned the faith that you have in yourself, step on it, you know, and that um, and my budget looked me in the face and we were like, oh, things have to change. So I left I left, uh, and was just had every intention of like chilling, taking it slow, seeing what was going on. And then literally the two week period after I left were probably some of the most intense days that I ever had in that it was just meeting after meeting after conversation after conversation. And like, it was truly overwhelming just how much opportunity there was. And then my lovely friend, um, Forrest, um, Richter R- Richter, I think that's how you say it Forrest Richter, uh, who I know through WeFunder uh, he posted, he was like, yeah, working with this cool guy based off of Ontario um, and he's looking for this is not how Forrest sucks and he's
0: like, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, Ontario <laughs> <laughs> he's
1: looking for a, a black female GP um, to help him uh, run this black tech capital firm and I was like, I volunteer Oh, too much, you know, um, and talked to Brian Brian Duarte, who's a wonderful, wonderful man, um, and we just hit it off immediately. Uh, both based off of our backgrounds, you know, we come from different places in the diaspora, the Black diaspora, um, but many of our life experiences overlap. Uh, and even though he's like he's like fifty something, <laughs> and I'm like twenty three, we still had so much like mutual understanding and like a mutual perspective of the world where it was like, Oh, we can build something together, something significant. Um, and I just really, really jived with the way that he approached entrepreneurship. I've always been of the belief that the reason why I started down this path of VC and entrepreneurship, like the whole ecosystem in general is because I grew up really low income, often housing insecure, often housing insecure, um, and occasionally food insecure as well. And was just like, this, this is crazy. Mm. Like there's nothing about me innately that deserves to lack in resource to you know experience a scarcity. Um, so I was like, okay, so this isn't, this isn't on me. <laughs> like, this is definitely a comment on the system and the world in which we live. And so I went into college very intentionally trying to understand and solve that question, that problem, Um, came across the concept of impact investing, uh, probably like my junior year, um, and just went wild with that. Eventually came into the arms of Venture for America, uh, and that is the relationship that got me to Birmingham. So those are several different backstory uh, plot points. But uh, yeah, so I've always been of the belief well, not always, but since college, I've been of the belief that entrepreneurship um, and investing in entrepreneurs is how we not just alleviate poverty, but how we eliminate it, you know, oh. um, by empowering people to be their brilliant selves. Um, something that doesn't get talked a, a lot about with poverty is that it's just not low income. It's also, you don't have time. And if you don't have time, you, you can't think, you know, right. um, because when you're, you know, Paycheck to paycheck, or you know, you're constantly doing yeah. this cash flow analysis of your situation. There's no time to dream bigger um, because you're just trying to make it to tomorrow. Uh, and so, while I'm definitely still like finding my rhythms, and I think it'll take me a cool six months to a year to really get those down, uh, it's very important to me that we approach entrepreneurship as this or take advantage of entrepreneurship as this way to really just create so much wealth for so many people on a relatively short timeline like we don't need generations to make this happen we need 10 years Mm -hmm. you know um and then like just to be a nice cash flowing profitable business you really don't even need that you need maybe a year you know um and the product market fit, like so I just think entrepreneurship is such a powerful tool. And Brian was also views entrepreneurship that way. And we are both really passionate, particularly about um, Black founders, um, because I'm Black. So <laughs> Those it's like, of so uh, you if
0: listening on audio, which is all of you, she <laughs> pointed to her hand indicating her skin color. <laughs>
1: just so you know (laughs) Uh, i am a african-american woman um and so yeah no i I definitely i want to see all black people win um and i think we do that through entrepreneurship and brian agreed um and on top of that like i'm very pro like fundamentals like people ask me about like the market correction that's happening right now um like obviously that can always happen. Like bubbles can be created and sustained and and burst, and that's a whole cycle that can happen. But I think when as an investor and as a founder, you have a focus on the basics of making repeatable, scalable processes, and you don't let other people, other VCs, um, or the new news outlets or whatever overvalue your company. And you're very like you come at things with a bottom up mentality as opposed to like. Like, uh, it was funny, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were like, my TAM is everybody. <laughs> not a good, <laughs> not a good, like, not a good lead. <laughs> not a great lead. It wasn't the best lead I ever heard. Um, <laughs> so, but like a, your TAM is not everybody. And when you get realistic, uh, and you're like, okay, these are the associations that cater to my audience. I'm confident that we can capture 25% uh, of their audience with this strategic partnership. Uh, and we plan on doing this with these three other organizations over the next two years, resulting in, you know, XYZ customers. Like, I hear that and I'm like, oh, okay. That's that's a for real plan. Those are real numbers. That's not like 7 billion people and counting, you know? Uh, so, <laughs> I think, mean, like, if you're... And then, like, being protective of that. There's so much, I've noticed like education that has to happen with founders because overvaluing your company can be the death of your company. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you look up, now you have to lay off 25% of your workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm definitely looking forward. There's always a silver lining to things and I'm looking forward to post this correction that's happening. Founders being more educated because they understand the importance of not having that education. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, Brian and I hit it off. That's how I ended up at Black Tech Capital.
0: <laughs> well, one of the things you mentioned there was, you know, without or, or you know, if you overvalue your company, you might have to lay off, let's say, 25% of your workforce. So let's talk about the workforce, right? You know, as a mm-hmm. concept overall, as startups think about hiring, uh, attracting, and then retaining not any talent, but just young, but young talent specifically, mm-hmm. From what you've observed from the companies you've worked with, from your own experiences going through a hiring process in your past, um, what are some of the things or trends you're observing uh, that seem to be common across companies, and are those trends good or bad?
1: Yeah, well, I would say, especially if you're if you're somebody that wants to work for a startup and you're listening to this, or just like period with the job hunting process, it is all about best fit. It's like the, it's not about you, the person, um, and how, you know, quote unquote, worthy you are, how good you are. None of that, like, that's not relevant, because no one has the metric for that. No one can measure that, like, you're good enough. It's simply, are you a good fit for this role? Um, and right now, there's not a lot of great mechanisms for finding the best fit before you have that initial conversation. Um, And I'm sure we'll, you know, figure out a solution to this long term. But right now, it's just about really having conversations and understanding. It's so easy to get really intimidated by this, the whole job process, because it can be so, you know, not demeaning, but discouraging. It's mm. like, I've talked to 20 companies and uh, you know, I don't want to work for any of them or none of them want me. It's like, great. Like you got 20 no's. Uh, that means you already know where you don't want to be. And that's valuable information. Um, but anyways, when it comes to market trends, I see a huge, like, yeah, no, I see a huge divide between the, pe- the talented, capable people that want jobs, the talented, capable young people, and the awesome companies that need these jobs. Uh, they need these shops filled. And A, I think a big, like I said, a big part of that comes from us just not having the systems in place to be able to really handle that, but efficiently. But B, I think it's also because startups can be in the bad habit of just throwing their job descriptions into the void. The void being LinkedIn or Indeed or whatever, instead of going the community route. So right now I'm in on deck for community builders as a fellow, because I genuinely very much so believe that community, community building, community management is going to be the future. Like, uh, I'd <laughs> I say this like in a cheeky Gen Z way, but also totally serious, and that college is a scam. Like for, <laughs> for real, like unless you're like going to be an engineer or a doctor and even that, eh, like, the knowledge that you need to get where you want to go is available and it's either available for free or for $19.99 a month, you know? So it's like, you don't need to spend like multiple thousands or even hundreds of thousands of dollars to go get this degree. Because if you're looking, if the whole point of the degree is knowledge and network uh, and then of course, a shorthand to communicate uh, what you know, then A, you can do all those things in a more profitable way, uh, a more experiential way and a significantly cheaper way. Um, but I forget where I was, what was my point with that?
0: Cause I was Well, like, I think the kind of the origin of this is the gap that exists between how the companies that want the roles filled and the people who are working and, 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 and going a community route versus like a, you know, a posting and going into the <laughs> void route.
1: Yeah. So yeah, no, community is mad, mad important. So, um, and I'll shout out work on climate because I think it's a excellent example of what the future looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's now, so work on climate is this awesome Slack group uh, and they have a notion page as well. That's just for people in the uh, like just, just professionals that want to be working on climate change solutions. Um, so if you're interested in that, all, that at all, like get in there. And I think we're going to, we are seeing more of these kind of groups, more of these communities that are like, Hey, like you want to be a part of this. Um, Here's an entire like flat group of of professionals that are already in the industry that are actively looking for new talent, you know, Um, come in here, become a part of the community, learn, um, make new friends, and then also get, get you a new job. And I found that to be a lot more successful and um, just, you know, energizing than clicking through posts on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Even when I have a lot of friends that will come to me. Um, so within the fellowship, within the Venture for America fellowship, uh, I've kind of gathered a reputation for when people are ready to make a change, they will end up on my doorstep. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, like I'm not happy with my job. Um, and I want to start looking. And I do have like a little mini job board. A uh, pro tip. If you find a VC that you really like, um, or like, let's say your industry is aerospace. Go find an aerospace VC um, and their portfolio companies and their jobs will be listed most likely on that portfolio companies uh, on that venture capital firm's mm. uh, website. And if it's not, just send them an email. You like. I really want to be in aerospace. This is my background and how I think I can contribute. Do you have any opening? Do you have any open positions? The answer is yes. Yes, they do. (laughs) like, um, Getting creative and taking on the mindset of being proactive. And I I don't mean proactive as in going through LinkedIn. I mean, being proactive about defining what are my values and what's the work environment that I want to be in. Uh, And then just going and finding it because those people are there and they often already have a community. Well, let's look at the other
0: side of that equation then, right? So on the company side, um, from the founder, from the CEO perspective, what can, what can the startup be doing to get in front of these kinds of people and make sure that they're able to even like project their values as a company so that the candidates may know what they would align with?
1: Well, A, like, and this is so important and I'm, obviously you know this but you have to set your culture from the beginning because there will be a culture um and it's just a matter of whether you have successfully influenced it to be the one that you want that aligns with your values as a founder and what you, the comp- the values that you want your company to hold or not so that's from the get-go from the jump define what your values are define your culture Um, And the processes and the different methods of accountability that your that your culture has in place to maintain those values. Um, And once you know who you are, then you can step out and be like, come work with us. Mm -hmm. Um, So just right off the bat, uh, this this is for real, like a lot of startups need to get really serious about what their values are, um, because in your branding and your messaging um in your strategic partnerships in your major enterprise customers like all that's going to be super relevant because it'll be great and and of course and when your investors that you choose all that's going to be super relevant and you want you your co-founders to be all on the same page before you step into that fray Um, so if you value transparency and you're going to invest who gives a hoop or a half about whether or not, you know, uh, your product increases transparency in your customer's lives, you don't need them. Like they don't need to be working with you. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of money in the market. Um, a lot of states, uh, like literally like, you know, tennessee nebraska uh like like states are getting into the venture game as well as a lot of yeah yeah as like a governmental
0: entity yeah they have like a venture yeah yeah
1: there's like i feel like there's so and then of course we have entire new markets coming online um or you know really getting popular like india and china so it's there's just so much money out there right now you need to get clear from the jump what the values that you have and who you want to work with. Um, and that goes both for investors and for your talent. But regarding talent, um, once you know what your values are and you're talking about that, go find the spaces that already exist that share those values. Yeah. Um, and so you can, of course, go to colleges and set up your booth. Like that works. That works. Um, but I think you can get a way more passionate, um, more value-aligned workforce if let's say you go to, you're going to a local, like crypto group. These are all right. people who have a healthy distrust of the monetary system, and you're a Web three company. It's a match made in heaven. And you yeah, there's already more- like
0: a base uh, interest or understanding. It's, it's kind of like the the equivalent of. You know, sometimes people will ask me like, oh, how come Startup Hype Man doesn't have a bigger Instagram presence? Like we have an Instagram account. Let me like, post some stuff yeah. on there. It's kind of just to like post the podcast content more than anything else. And I personally just like don't have the wherewithal to like, <laughs> to like keep up with my personal Instagram and the company one as well. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I've always said, I'm like, you know what? Like we live on LinkedIn because I know there's a way better shot that the content we create and put on LinkedIn is going to get in front of the right people. Because, you know, versus on Instagram, everyone has, you know, there's, there's, there's an our our market is everyone thing, right? Everyone is on Instagram. So I don't need, you know, like, for example, like, like my mom to see startup hype man. Cool. She does, but it doesn't really matter if she does, right? Uh, Whereas on LinkedIn, and if we create the content for that channel, it's, it's Mm -hmm. the equivalent of like a special interest group out of the gate right it's knowing that there's a higher likelihood that this content is going to hit with the people who have gathered here versus if i just you know went out into like the square and started like shouting hey this is the thing that i'm doing and i'm interested in and i want you to be interested in too
1: (laughs) the square i love that yeah no like so the, the advice boils down to like a the people that are proactive the kind of people that you like want to work at your company anyways are probably doing extra things um so they're probably in some other you know city-based club or school-based club that's around that topic or maybe it's just um if you know they're more value focused than going to a community center and seeing what's there my point is simply that get really creative and ask yourself where are these people already Mm -hmm. Um, and you'll have a lot higher rates of success instead of uh because yeah it's easy it, I feel like it's relatively easy. You come up with a job description, you post on LinkedIn, you sit back, you chill, you know, get your little margarita. But then you're you've cast your net really, really wide, as opposed to going to the where those communities already exist and speaking on your values and how you want and the, your vision where you see the company going, allowing people to be inspired by you and to really resonate with your message. And then the people that show up at your doorstep are not people that browse your website. These are people that heard your story and want to be a part of it, you know? So just get creative.
0: I want to share an anecdote on that specific note of like around like job descriptions and, and get your opinion on that as well. Before we go there, you know, this whole conversation is really what it is about is about scaling a company. And another element of scale is your product and your product strategy. Let's say you're building an app, for example. Let's say you already built it and it's launched. Awesome. Congratulations. It's not the end. It's it's actually the beginning of your journey of your product, your product scalability, et cetera. And if you're not aware, about four in five apps are being abandoned after a single use, why? Well, they're not actually delivering what the users really want. I know if I look at my iPhone right now, there are more than half the apps I downloaded once, and then they just—they're like sitting up in the cloud, and they're not going to be like redownloaded. So, how do you improve your own app to prevent something like that from happening? Prevent download and delete, or download and cloud, right? Well, fear not. You just need an experienced partner that can help you out in this quest. And that's where Mikito comes in. Mikito is the team of design, software development, and product strategy experts that have built over 150 successful products for both startups and enterprises. So, what that means is they have the grit, the know how, the agility to work at the startup level. But because they also work with enterprise, they have the experience around the scalability to know how do you take it from where it is today to being in the hands of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and ultimately millions of users. And you could join that group as well of getting your product in the hands of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and millions of users if you join forces with Mikito. To learn more... And see if they could be the right partner for you. Just go to mikido.com/slash hype man. That's M-I-Q-U-I-D-O.com/slash hype man. Mikido.com/slash hype man. Today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast, we're talking with Kiana Meeks from Black Tech Capital on attracting and retaining young talent. Now, Kiana, you were talking about like this idea of you know, you could just post a job description versus going into communities. I think what so a personal anecdote I can share, because I just went through a hiring process to add two new roles here on, on the Startup Hype Man team, um, which was, you know, it was very much a learning experience for me. Um, and I did go like, I, I didn't like create a job posting on LinkedIn. I just like off my personal account. I was like, hey, here's what we're looking for. And then I copied that and pushed it through um, our, our email list as well. Um, and you know what? I got like some pretty good candidates out of it, and the people I've hired, I'm very happy with. I think, though, the, the, the sentiment is the same in that I didn't have like a, an inactive LinkedIn account. And then I was like, okay, here's my job posting. I had essentially cultivated and curated a community, if you will, because of a big buildup of content around specific interests and topics over many years. Right. And same thing with the email list. Like people know, like people who are reading that are clearly interested in in the certain type of stuff. But also what I did is I didn't copy paste someone else's job description. I wrote it from scratch. I even created the titles from scratch because, you know, and this is something that like a friend of mine, who's a career coach, he was like, "Ah, I don't know if you want to go that route because it's too confusing for people. And I was like, well, I was like, I could be wrong but I want someone who's gonna to gravitate towards the title of pitch artist. I want someone who's gonna naturally gravitate towards the title of content artist. I want someone who sees themselves as an artist in this respect. I'm curious from your perspective, as you look at job descriptions uh, and you look at job titles, like do these things need to be standardized in order to be able to have that like immediate recognition by the market? Um, Or is there some room for creativity here? And and is that the right path to go if we're trying to attract talent?
1: Interesting question. Um, I'm going to say yes and um, yes, no. And that it really depends on you and your company. Uh, If you have a more creative, artistic kind of company, then yeah, you need somebody who's going to see the value in artistry because they are an artist. Uh, And even if they can't like, you know, make the next michelangelo uh they can i certainly still... can't you <laughs> just have to believe Now, uh the picasso <laughs> and
0: pitch decks how about that
1: picasso not. A, oh man i gotta to start guys. using that oh my god yeah,
0: <laughs> i've never used that before <laughs>
1: i love that but yeah no like so if it's more of an artsy creative role yeah you can get fun with it because you're that's the kind of person that you'd like to attract but if you need an account manager you need to say that <laughs> looking for an account manager Mm. um but not like an like an account manager prowess i I don't know like don't don't get fancy with things you don't need to get fancy Mm -hmm. with it's like it's simply answering the question who am i targeting what would attract them Mm -hmm. um and if you're looking for um you know a rock star accountant you want them to be able to find you so you sure. don't need to put Rockstar star in the title. Maybe put that in the description and be like, yeah, I'm looking for somebody who's great at accounting and mm-hmm. loves what they do. I don't know. Yeah. I guess there are people that are yeah. passionate about accounting, but yeah, it's just like, use your best judgment.
0: What are things then? Um, you know, I think the interview process is very interesting. This was my first time conducting a formal you know, rounds of interviews. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I'm honest with people. I'm like, I don't know if I I can't confidently say I'm a good interviewer of others when it comes to like hiring, right? I think I'm a good interviewer in a podcast, but when it comes to hiring, I was like, ah, I was constantly like second guessing myself over, Mm -hmm. am I even asking the right questions? Like, am I running this process the right way? Now, again, I did get, you know, candidates who I thought were awesome and people I hired are great. But overall, I'm like, I, I, I look back and I'm just like, well, do I even know if my process was good or not? So, uh, how, what, what recommendations do you have for a founder, a CEO who's starting to build out their team for how they should actually run the hiring process?
1: Um, and this won't be a new piece of advice, you know, slow to hire, fast to fire, like definitely take your time with that hiring process uh, and keep in mind this, you, you know, you're not God. You don't know if people are good or bad or anything like that. You can only give, you know, process the information that you get from them. Um, so with that in mind, be on the lookout for best fit. It's like, who's who do I wanna work with every day? Obviously, like you have to talk to these people. So you need to actually be, you know, friendly, if not friends. Um, and then, cause at the end of the day, most things aren't that hard. You know, so if you can can find somebody who's generally talented, um, is focused, you can carry them um, a lot of the rest of the way and help them refine um, their processes and how they do the job. Uh, So there's I think in hiring, there should be a lot less emphasis on like the background and the skill of the person so much as is this person talented? Are they a good culture fit? Um, And when I think the culture fit, I don't mean just like everybody else, like, are they going to help the team grow? Like, do they have a growth mindset? Um, Do they stand up for themselves? Do they speak up? Because if they can speak up for themselves in the interviewing process, Mm -hmm. then I know for sure they can speak up in a meeting. Um, Because you like as a founder, especially there's so much on your plate. Um, You need people that are going to hold you accountable. Um, And I don't mean like I saw you eating a Twinkie at lunch today and you said you were trying to lose three pounds. I just want to let you know that that's not okay. And that's not like like that, but like, you know, um, you, your tone with our client this morning, I think it made them uneasy. And um, let's, maybe we should take some time to reflect on how that meeting went a little bit more. Um, You definitely want a team that can speak up and so as long as somebody a is creative, b personable, under like has a decent emotional intelligence, you you as the founder have um have it within yourself to be like okay, now this is how you artfully put together a pitch deck. It's something that can be taught, you know. Um just like most things. A- everything is learned everything can be taught um it's just a matter of when you're a startup obviously you're trying to calculate do i have actually have time to teach this person um all these things or what information do i need them to know like day one so that Mm -hmm. they can get started on xyz day one so you need to evaluate that from the jump like that needs to be one of the first questions you ask yourself after what is a best fit candidate what is our culture and you know what what kind of person am i looking to to bring in it also needs to be: Do I need them to have this skill set from the jump, or can I afford uh, like a more three, like a three month, six month uh, onboarding, you know, ramp up and knowledge process? Yeah. Um, and it'll be different for every business. You just have to use your best judgment. Um, and something that I love to tell founders all the time is like, "This is your baby." Like, obviously, I come in here um, with all of my. Uh, Pages and pages of unsolicited VC advice, you know? <laughs> uh, like <laughs> giving unsolicited VC advice, that's what I do, you know? <laughs> like, but at the end of the day, this is your baby. This is your company. You're the one that's doing the toiling, the grinding, the planning, the strategic vision. Um, so just really own it. And uh, like, and I know that you were unsure about the process, but A, I'm sure you did great because it's just a matter of finding who's the best fit. You know, um, and I don't mean to say just as if it's uh, such a simple task, but that um, it is like one focusing that you're doing, you know, you're not it's really not a matrix of different things. It's let me find the best fit to meet my needs right now, both my needs um, from a value perspective and from like the actual work perspective. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, like I said, finding those people by going where they already are is how you do that a lot faster. I
0: think think that the, you know, I want to make this point and then I want to ask a different question, but you've mentioned it a few times and I think it's so important for everyone to understand that the values piece is so critical. You know, six months before I knew I was going to be ready to start hiring, I worked with an outside consultant to develop company core values. And I can't tell you how helpful it was in the hiring process. Like one of the rounds of the interviews was... Here are our core values. Pick one of these. Here's one, like you have six. Pick one, send a video back telling me a story of how of a personal value that you have that relates to one of these. And like a story around like how that was tested and how that value was shaped. And that was really valuable to me and our company to see how do people think through these? Which values that they align with? Is there a clash, et cetera? Right. And, And even if you don't do it as direct as that. Even just knowing in the back of your head, like this is what our company is anchored on is so, so helpful as you start to figure out who's, who are the right people for your team. Now that said, yeah. what's that? Yeah, it's a map. It's a map. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Instead of just like Lewis and Clark starting from scratch, you know, like you're like oh, literally wait, writing the I map as that. they're going. Yeah, no, like, 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 literally, you don't need to do that. Like, you, you can just be like, oh, wait, I value um, honesty, courage, transparency. Yeah, uh, and then and then go find that. As I always wonder.
0: Just... I always wonder how, without an overhead view from space, how did anyone ever like draw like dividing lines Ooh. between states or, or regions or anything, <laughs> and know. like basically get it right too. <laughs>
1: know, photographers, that's the day. Oh, they really knew what they would
0: do. <laughs> All right. So I want to spend a couple minutes before we close out here talking about the other side of this equation, which is retaining, right? Talk about attracting. Yeah. What does it take? You get the right people. What does it take to ensure, especially amidst the great resignation, um, yeah. which is starting to shift now because of the, because of the markets turning over. But um, what does it take to keep people on your team, especially if they're good people? <laughs> that, yes. that you found,
1: growth, 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 growth. Um, I can't say that enough. People, especially talented people, they want to constantly be up in their game. Like, the, uh, I have a friend who reached out to me this weekend talking about, "I'm ready. I'm ready to go." Tell me, how do I start? Where do, uh, what do I do? And that's because they were not feeding. Um, they, were, they were not feeding her growth. And I see that happen. I've seen it happen dozens and dozens of times. It's If you do not provide an internal culture, an environment that gives people more responsibility, that trains them on new skills and um, allows them autonomy, you're going to lose your people. Mm. If you're a micromanager, listen to me right now. You got to stop that. You got to stop that because people will leave. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. Um and so it's funny, you know. I think it's very, it's a very American thing to be like, "Oh, if you don't like it, just leave." They will. It's <laughs> a great resignation. Everybody is leaving. Okay, <laughs> so, so you don't figure it out quick. Um, and so, so that doesn't mean, like, when I say growth, 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 growth for retention, that truly is the single most important thing. Because um, even if people are unhappy with their pay, even if you know you don't have kombucha on tap. Which you know the cruelty of that, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like, you cannot have any of those amenities, and you can even be on the lower end of the pay scale, which you know as a startup you probably are, mm-hmm. um, at least until you secure funding. But if you have a growth oriented plan for each of your employees, and you communicate with that, you communicate to them that plan like nobody should be in the dark like it's not an evil scheme um it's their growth plan so like from day one being like okay we're gonna get you onboarded over these next three months you're gonna learn every part of the company so you understand how your work fits into everybody else's work you know you'll get the rhythms for communication down um but in you know six to nine months we'd like to see you doing this responsibility and hopefully, you know, one, one and a half, two years down the line, we'd like you to be um, an account manager for this region or something like that. If people know that the key thing, no, like you have to communicate uh, this to them. Obviously, I'm a big fan of transparency. Yeah. Uh, but from the get go, it's like this is the plan that I have for you. Um, this is your professional development budget. Here's what we recommend you spend it on. Like just have a growth oriented Uh, culture because a that will that's just going to be good for your business period um because then you're having people with the industry knowledge and with the intimate knowledge of your company staying with you for the long haul they're going to be able to take your company to the next level compared to uh, a, a lot better a lot more efficiently than some newcomer can a newcomer that has to learn um all the things both about your company and the industry before they can really make some effective change Like, so if you are a growth oriented company, both externally for your customers and internally with your workforce from the jump, like, success is inevitable, you know, Uh, because you'll be able to retain talent. And at the very least, like, I think something that very much so irritates me about a lot of startup founders that I see is that they're not investing in their talent. And you need to be investing in their growth so that way they stay. Like, it's really not that hard. A, pay people more. But if, uh, but whether you can or not, you need to have a growth-centric culture that's prioritizing them leveling up as people and professionals. Like, period.
0: This reminds me of uh, at this point. I think it was eight or nine years ago. I wrote this article where I came up with this theory. I called the seventy percent rule. And The idea was that, and I think it's Googleable. If anyone wants to look it up, just type my name in like seventy percent rule. I think it's somewhere online. Um, I read what I came up with was this concept that like, no job will ever be 100% of the things you would picture in an ideal job, right? Because there's always just like stuff that has to get done, even in the best jobs in the world, right? And in fact, the chances are, you only have about 30% of the stuff you really love doing, Mm-hmm. And the rest is filled with 70% of like just like admin stuff or like like like, you know what I don't really love doing is like drawing up contracts for our customers, but I do it, right? because I have to to get to the good stuff. Um, and so if that's if that's the breakout, it's like knowing that, the even a good job you're probably only getting 30% of the time is spent doing the stuff you effing love and the remaining 70% is like the 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 work that just has to get done cuz it's part of the job overall that 30% is so sacred that it means that the remaining 70% in order to keep that person satisfied and happy and staying with you has got to be also filled with um essentially respect and respect comes in a few different ways. Respect is, are they getting paid fairly? And I could even argue like better than fairly, right? That's true.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Do, do you have like a, You know, a solid like time off or like work from home policy or like like, a flexible enough policy that matches a modern lifestyle? Do you have a boss who will champion you um, and and, like be your advocate and your mentor? Do you feel safe bringing up issues in the workplace? Right. These are all elements of, of respect that your employees need to receive. And do they feel like the work they do every day, do they understand how it's connected to the bigger picture? Do they know what their own growth trajectory looks like, right? So that, to me, is what is what this reminds me of is that seventy percent rule that you've got to be able to fill, like fill that seventy percent of admin work with enough respect so that the thir- only getting the thirty percent of the amazing work is enough for your employees.
1: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, I love that so much. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go read that article and then tout it as my own thing. Go <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: but,
1: uh, yeah, no, it, it simply comes down. If you invest in into your workforce, they will invest in you because you're right. And that's so much of the work that you have to do just has to get done. It's not the glamorous stuff. So what's keeping people doing that work? It's because they know that, you know, you, the boss, respect them, care about their growth and then invested in seeing them grow as a person, you know? Um, yeah, just investing in your people, man.
0: We're almost out of time here, so let's begin our wrap-up. First off, Kiana, where can our listeners find you and where can they learn more about Black Tech Capital?
1: Yeah. So the Black Tech Capital website is not live yet. Uh, so sit on your hands for that. We have a like, What will page. the
0: URL be if someone listens to this six months from now?
1: Um, most likely blacktechcapital.com.
0: <laughs> it's not that, it'll probably be .vc or one of those iterations.
1: Yeah, one of those. You know, we've <laughs> been fancy with our dots lately. Um, but you can definitely follow me, uh, Kiana Meets on LinkedIn. Uh, I post infrequently, but <laughs> but I'm getting better, okay? I'm getting better. Uh, I, so LinkedIn is my number one, for sure. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Kiana underscore Meets. Um, and you could follow me on Instagram, but things get real, real there. So I would, (laughs) (laughs) I would proceed with caution, uh, but (laughs) LinkedIn and Twitter for sure. All
0: right. Kiana, who is one person who you want to shout out who has been helpful to you on your journey?
1: Yeah. Oh, so many excellent, excellent people. Um, ah, okay. Well, first of all. I can't just be like one person. I just can't do it. I'm sorry. Oh, you're not. So I gotta gotta say- give me one.
0: Give me one. Don't say team. Don't say group. Oh, just, don't God. worry. It's not the only person you'll ever shout out in your life. Just just, just a person who is, whos who has been helpful to you.
1: Fine. Okay. Then I'm going to say, Then okay, I got to shout out Neil Wright. Neil Wright, um, the CEO and president of Bronze Valley. Uh, Bronze Valley is where I got my start. Um, and I'm infinitely grateful for my time there. Uh, when Neil and I first met, it was, you know, 2020. I was at my auntie's house, uh, you know, because she let me stay there during the thick of Corona. And we had literally one, one warm introduction and one conversation. And then I was on a plane to Birmingham. <laughs> um, and Because, you know, when you know, you know. So yeah. shout out to Neil for believing in me and seeing my potential from the beginning um, and then giving me the opportunity and the autonomy to uh, grow grow in this role and to grow in this industry. I'm very grateful for that. Thank you, Neil.
0: We'll now do our top lessons and takeaway, top one to two lessons and takeaways from our conversation today. The topic was attracting and retaining young talent. I'll go first and I'll toss it to you. Uh, my biggest takeaway, I love the community piece you mentioned, so I hope I don't steal your thunder with that, but it was, I think, probably the best thing that uh, I heard out of this conversation or, or the thing that's sticking with me the most, I should say. And, and really, it's the idea that you can shorten the distance between your company and the best candidates for your company by embedding yourself within special interest communities that your company would care about.
1: Precisely. Um, Second takeaway, and this is more of a, a bigger picture thing, but if you put in a lot of work in the upfront, you can be on cruise control afterwards, and especially when it comes to talent. If you do the work of finding, defining your values, that's the other takeaway, define your values today. If you have not, get your little founding team together, go on a little mini retreat, figure it out um, because that's how you're going to be able to bring on new people uh, is by knowing where you're going. Uh, so yeah, know where you're going, define your values and put in a lot of work upfront with that And then you won't be wrestling with people who actually aren't a good fit, you know, six months down the line when you've already invested so much time and money into training them. Uh, So yeah, put the work up front. That's, that's my (laughs) takeaway.
0: My final question, which is how we end every episode on this show. Fill in the blank, Kiana. Entrepreneurship is blank.
1: Entrepreneurship is how we solve inequality.
0: I don't think anything else needs to be said but that. Entrepreneurship is how we solve inequality. I love it. She is Kiana Meeks from Black Tech Capital. Kiana, thank you so much for joining today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. This is a blast.
0: And for all you listening out there, stay tuned and stay in touch by subscribing to our Point of View letter, because coming soon is the official Startup Hype Man mixtape, a hip hop album dedicated to the founder journey. We're working on that right now in the background. There's some fire tracks that are in production and can't wait to drop that later in 2022. So keep an eye out by staying in tune through our Point of View letter at StartupHypeMan.com that's a wrap on this one shout out to our guest once again for sharing their story with us if what you heard impacted you do one of three things one let our guests know reach out to them directly they love hearing from you two leave a rating and review on apple or three simply hit the share button and share this episode with one friend who you think would benefit from hearing it Catch our full episode archive at StartupHypeMan.com slash podcast. And if you want to make your pitch not suck, reach out to us through the website. That's all for this week. We'll catch you next time. Raj Nation out. Believe the hype.